Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Hawkins, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Tamarcus Raglan, Chelsea Conway, and Jenna Hernandez. Today, we want to talk about some recent headlines in our next installment of the Cultural Roundup. Guys, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Yeah, doing all right. I'm doing great. Oh, wow. Okay. Jenna's, a giggle and a nervous. great. No, she's not. We're ready awesome. to rock. She's doing Excuse awesome. Me. I'm really excited to hear from you guys today because um, we have a lot to talk about. We're going to yeah. cover three sort of headline-grabbing topics, and hopefully we discuss them in a way that's edifying, that brings Christ into the conversation and, and shows our listeners how we can engage with culture with a Christ-centered mindset. So the yep. three topics we're going to be covering are Roe v. Wade and the recent controversy surrounding that, uh, the Depp v. Heard case going on right now, and then Melissa Lucio. So let's jump into it. Well, the first, first conversation we want to have is on Roe v. Wade. And uh, Adam, since you have some good law background, how about you kind of set the stage and give us what is the, um, from a legal perspective, what is actually at stake or what is the conversation in the um, trial actually about? Right. So it looks like there was has been a lot of legislation passed recently that challenges Roe v. Wade, or at least challenges some restrictions around abortion uh, that Roe might disagree with. And so what's happened is a few weeks ago from this recording, basically uh, a a portion of an opinion, majority draft opinion, was leaked to the press. I think Politico actually published it, which is an online sort of news site. Um, and what it looks like, we can't be sure, but what it looks like is uh, that the court may be getting ready to overturn Roe or significantly uh, reduce its impact in the conversation of abortion. What that means is it looks like they're going to be able to, they're going to expand restrictions, if not overturn Roe all the way, altogether. It looks like they're actually going to overturn the case. Now, do we know if that's true? No. It is literally a draft opinion. These things can change all the time. We don't know. But again, it it does look like maybe that's the way it's headed. So what does it mean to overturn Roe v. Wade? And to ask that question, um, I think that's the question you're asking, but to ask that question means getting into a little bit of legalese. Exactly. And so yeah. I, just to present it here, the question in Roe really is, do you have an inherent right to privacy? It's two cases, Roe and Casey. Do you have an inherent right to privacy, and do you have an inherent right then to basically privacy that would allow you to make medical decisions between just you and your doctor as it relates to abortion? And the court said when these cases were decided, yes, if you overturn Roe, basically what you're saying, what they're saying in this case is that Roe was decided wrongly, and what would happen if you overturn Roe is then all the decisions about whether um, abortion should be legal or not is granted back to the legislature and specifically back to state legislatures. So that's that's really where we are. The where we are. the The question legally about Roe is what about whether it being a good case or not has to do with some legalese around it. Meaning, and it's this idea of substantive due process. Really, what it was is the founders said we're not going to enumerate all the rights in the Constitution. 
uh, the framers of the Constitution said this, they're God-given and we know what they are. And then the Federalists raised their hands and says, said, no, we don't. We need to enumerate them, which is why we got the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments. All right. And what happened after that was later on, much later on, you have the 14th Amendment passed and said, you cannot be deprived of one of your rights without due process of the law, meaning without having a say in court or whatever. And so substantive due process was invented by the court to be able to, it basically said, hey, there are certain rights that are not written in the Constitution, but that the Constitution somehow guarantees, and you cannot be deprived of those rights, again, without due process. And so since this idea, which is really a brilliant legal move, has come along, they have read many different rights into the Constitution. One of those rights is a right to abortion. There are a lot of people, Scalia was one, a giant of of sort of uh, what would be called originalist thinkers who would say, there's no right to abortion enshrined in the Constitution. Uh, it's not in the pay. It's not written there. The framers were never thinking of it. And so it's crazy. You can basically invent any right you want under this legal theory. So there are a lot of people, both conservatives and progressives, you know, based on what uh, legal theory that they hold to, originalist or maybe more progressive, um, that uh, the originalist side would dis- disagrees with this. And so that's that's just a lot. Uh, you guys can ask me any questions you want for to sure. around that. But the, the big idea is just to say this, this issue actually for a lot of people, for a lot of jurists, isn't necessarily about abortion. It's about substantive due process. So let me, let me try yeah. to reduce that down to make sure... We we yeah. gathered from it. Yeah. So essentially, there was there's a a conversation, or rather, certain things are you just you have a right to them, and they don't need to be necessarily written on paper. We right. just understand God has allowed them. Yep. And then there's other one, another side that says no, we need to put it on paper. Right. And part of what is under the discussion here is, hey, we've put on paper that you have a right to an abortion, and what they are considering is, should that just be something? That's less enumerated, I believe, is the word you used. No, what they would say is you don't have a right enshrined in the Constitution to abortion. Therefore, you're free to legislate about it. This is the real idea. The Supreme Court justices are nine, or sorry, yeah, nine people who are unelected, who are supposed to be unelected because they're supposed to be free of politics. They're supposed to simply look at, as a Supreme Court, the law, mm-hmm. namely the law in the Constitution and then the common law that's come behind that, what their decisions, all mm-hmm. the decisions. Mm-hmm. And basically, as new laws are created, they're able to say, well, that's actually unconstitutional. So if there was a law that somebody was trying to pass that said, um, we're going to come take all your guns away. It'd be like, well, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Actually, in the Constitution, they wrote the Second Amendment. Or we're going to take away some other thing, right? Well, actually, we're going to try to enslave people again. Well, actually, there's an amendment that's passed that said you cannot do that. So they they sort of are the gatekeepers o- around what's around legal or in the Constitution, the point that Scalia and other originalists have made is, hey, it's fine if you want abortion. Guess what? You should leave that up to the public, not nine unelected individuals who are trying to you know, push their agenda on the country. And it's been really interesting to watch some of the – I've heard some of the rhetoric from some of the Democrats who will say, how can you leave it up to nine unelected people to take away <laughs> women's rights? And my response wants to be, how could you leave it up to nine unelected people to take away the rights of the unborn, which is why we're always going to miss each other always, on this. Yeah. And it might just be that the better way to do this is the legislature. It, even, even maybe 
uh, a federal law, right? So it's like it, it would be a lot better to actually be able to elect people to to bring the law, um, uh, bring the will of the people through the law rather than through the courts. That makes sense. Yeah. You mean like a pass a bill? Yeah, like pass a bill. Yeah. Yeah. Which may, but here's the problem more and more frequently, right? You can't get anything through Congress mm-hmm. because we're so divided. So right. that's why the pe- the por- the court has become so much more important in the past couple decades, and mm. they are looking for the court to make these decisions because mm. everyone knows you're not going to be able to pass a federal law. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, yeah. not to keep you on a hot seat, no, but you're I fine. think you got the most uh, legal prowess out of out of us. But it, in in light of what you shared, like yeah. as we think about this particular decision. Um, I think a lot of the conversation that is, I mean, which often circles abortion, but especially in this, um, in this situation is, uh, you know, if they don't overturn it, then this side wins. And if they do overturn it, then this side wins. Right. And it sounds like from what you described, it's a little bit more complex. It's a lot that. more complex. Like, let me put it to you in a really stark way. And this may sound defeatist and I'm not trying to, but if Roe is overturned, that does not mean abortion is legal. Mm-hmm. In other words, if Roe is overturned, the very next day, there will be hundreds and thousands even of abortions still committed in the United States of America. It's true. Because why? Because the who gets to decide that then goes back to the people, namely individual states, the legislatures of individual states, because there is no federal law around this particular issue, and which would supersede the state law or could. So you'd have you have a lot of state laws who are going to be able to kind of, yeah, figure, decide on this. And um, the, the, I don't know if you guys saw, but they just tried to pass a federal law um, around abortion, guaranteeing abortion rights, and it failed, basically. They needed a 60% majority in order to avoid filibuster, and it, and it didn't pass. So regardless, the whole point is in the Senate, but regardless, it would go back to the states. And there's a lot of states who have what are called trigger laws in place, which if Roe ever, if they've already passed a law that says, if Roe were to ever get overturned, we will do this. And some fall on the conservative side, some fall on the more progressive side around this issue. So, so essentially you just have certain states that will continue to allow in certain states mm-hmm. that, that wouldn't right or would try to hamper it. Right. Like mm-hmm. think about, and I know this is different, it is a different issue, but an analog might be like um, weed. Mm-hmm. Think about it like that way. Like yep. you can fly over the country and you can leave a state where it's legal to smoke weed and then you can fly over four states where it's illegal and then land in Colorado where it's legal again, okay, right? Okay. And it would be kind of similar with abortion. It'd be like you can fly across the country and pass through different jurisdictions who have different laws as it relates mm-hmm. to abortion. Yeah. I think it's really fascinating. Just from that pure standpoint, I, I was I've just been thinking about like, if it did get overturned, it did become basically what you're saying, where it was just like yeah. states. I, I'm like, I wonder how um, different the country would look in like 10, 20 years. Yeah. Uh, do you just have m- even more divisiveness? You know, does it become like, like I think about, I mean, our our um, location is in Texas. And so we have a lot of Californians moving here. And so it's like, do you find people just moving and then creating new communities that like fit what they want to do? B or whatever? Do you just do you just have more divisiveness between um, existing states? Do people start moving out? Is there like large population flocking situations or migration situations with people? I think you could, and there are people who would argue that that's what the framers intended. You know, the experiment mm-hmm. was a, fe- a, a federation mm-hmm. of states 
at a time, right? That would come together and there'd be this experiment. Hey, these laws work in this state. It's very idealistic, right? But I think you very well could, you know, I'm asking other questions too, Chelsea, which I find really interesting. And we've talked about a little bit, but it's like, there has been this overlap between Christianity and the Republican Party, largely because of this issue, mm-hmm. largely because of this issue. And it would be interesting to see what would happen, especially in maybe in in states, let's say, where abortion is illegal. But what moral cause might the church take up? Mm-hmm. What if it's poverty? You may see Christians and even churches start to go, well, we don't actually have to align with the Republican mm-hmm. Party because this abortion issue is so dealt with. So who now? do you vote for now? Mm-hmm. Well, who's going to do something about poverty? So it very well could be that you even see, there's a sense in which you could see a homogenization, uh, you, you mm-hmm. know, and more divisiveness. So I'm going to move, you know, I'll move to a state that agrees with me on abortion. But you might also see a fracturing of some of the party lines that have been drawn around this one issue too, which yeah. might be interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah. yeah I, and my, the thought that I've had along these lines, kind of a what, what you described is a question of integrity within the church of mm. the church in a lot of ways have, has held this as a, as a kind of a banner topic. And, you know, I wonder just maybe even just because of some of the misunderstanding, even around what's at stake is I would hate to see a church where it's like, maybe, maybe here, you know, we're in the state of Texas where more than likely it's like, rules are going to remain more more kind of closed-minded in terms of that restrictive yeah restrictive yeah right. and so it's like do we all of a sudden like all right well that's well that's no longer our thing like whatever they do in you know whatever mm-hmm. that other state right you know, that's kind of their thing mm-hmm. but you know our state that doesn't mm-hmm. happen um but it's like man but if but if our if the heart and posture around it was always like man we want to continue to to do the work um, to to save lives then it's like how do how does that how does that work continue what does that yeah, what does that work look like on the other side of Roe v. Wade? Which is, to me, begs the the question now of like, regardless of which way the it was, whether it was to stand or it was to be turned over, like, how can we as believers be thinking about what should be our response, um, regardless uh, of the decision? Uh, what could mm-hmm. it look like for us to respond in a way that honors God on both sides? Yeah, I think that's good. I always liken this, um, and I've I've said this to I think a couple of y'all. Uh, I, I volunteer with an organization that is um, anti-sex trafficking in the Philippines. And in the Philippines, they made a law. They passed a federal level law for the whole country that prostitution is illegal in like 2011 or something like that. And all that did was make it go underground. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't prevent anything. It didn't actually stop anything. It just made it where they criminalized the people who are prostituting. But the thing is, if you look at the actual system of prostitution in the Philippines, it's mostly children, and they're being forced into it by circumstance or people, a lot of times by family. So it's very difficult to prosecute that, criminalize that, and then create a system that is is going to get rid of that as an issue. And so I, I think about that with this situation. It's like, just because there's a law doesn't stop people from committing wrongs. But at the same time, uh, what are we actually doing when we're criminalizing something to the point that it's like um, creates a dangerous situation for somebody or uh, makes them feel like they have nowhere to go? Like, so the response to me has to always be outside the law. Otherwise, we're just stuck in the same trap that mm. we have been. Mm. So I, I think that's a large, it's a large issue and there's a lot of layers and I don't know the answer, um, but I do think it is, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with the law. Yeah. From from a legal perspective, just there are 
you know, various schools of thought within Christendom on this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just using the word Christendom is like a flag for some of those who might understand what I mean. And yeah. the, the point is, is like some people believe that our laws should reflect the morality of God, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that we are trying to create in some ways a flourishing society and that we should use the coercive power of the government because the power of the government's always coercive. It's always at the point of a sword, whether you actually believe that or not, it's true. At the end of the day, at some point you're either thrown in jail or shot by the police, right? Like, I mean that mm-hmm. meaning there's a, my whole point is to say the laws are enforced by a power and yeah. the mm-hmm. power mm-hmm. the government has. That's what I mean by co- coercive power. And some people believe you should use the coercive power of the government to uphold the, that those Christian laws. There's a whole nother branch that says, no, we, we're actually, we don't want to do that. I guess where it overlaps, it's really nice, but it's not necessary to do that. Um, and so there are deeper philosophical questions, but just as a Christian, so take it, take it out of the realm of political theory yeah. for a minute. Um, just as Christians, how are we s- s- to approach this? And I think you're right, Chelsea, in the sense that I don't have to be able to have a deeply developed political theory around this issue to care well mm. for people who are alive, meaning human mm. beings. Yes. Um, all what, what we can do as a church is, yes, is stand for life, the life of the unborn, but also the moms who are in that situation, mm-hmm. also people who are trapped in poverty, also mm-hmm. women who are sex trafficked, also, um, you know, the tragic stories of what happens to those who are sexually abused and their mm-hmm. families, et cetera. The church can be a place that's about life, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I actually think the way the media portrays Christians in in this is really one-dimensional. I think the pro-life movement can be really one-dimensional. I don't think that, at least, let me say it this way, it doesn't mean it's not out there, but for at least over a decade, I have seen churches handle this issue really well. Churches handle this issue really well. If I look around just where we are in Plano, Texas, and I look at the churches and I look at what they have said around this issue, they are funding... crisis pregnancy Mm -hmm. centers to try to help get resources and healthcare to women who are in pregnancy situations, maybe ones that they don't want to be in. Mm -hmm. There are people volunteering, paying Mm -hmm. for these things, mobile pregnancy centers, looking at how we can help women. I mean, in our church, it's like, I I don't know if you guys remember, but we had a family who stepped up to adopt and then we gave all this money to Mm -hmm. the mom and that situation ended where the mom actually wanted to keep the child and that Mm -hmm. was really beautiful. But I'm just saying, it's like, I've seen the church do the right thing here. And I I don't think the media has portrayed that. But again, I think the point would be that we, as a Christian people, look to care for our neighbors. And that means our neighbors who uh, have unwanted pregnancies. What do you do? And if we made the choice for life easier by giving them resources and helping them and say, we're not just going to be there when you're pregnant, we're going to be there after and we're Mm -hmm. going to invest in you and help you, then this issue becomes a whole lot different. Yeah. 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 And I I think just to a stamp on that would even be to say, so regardless of whether of the decision, like we can't take our foot off the pedal. Mm. Like Mm. it's not as simple as, oh, it's upheld. We got to keep pushing it. Oh, we, Mm. it, it overturned. So now we, you know, the law is going to do the work. It's like, no, we still, we still have to to continue to do the good work of caring for people. I think that's good. That is good. Well, guys, um, I want to move on to our next topic. Let's do it. Pew, pew, pew. This is all about entertainment. 
I'm just kidding. But it seems like we've treated it that way, and that mm-hmm. would be the Depp Heard trial. You have Johnny Depp, you have Amber Heard. I'll try to set this up. You guys correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to throw it to Jenna first because we haven't heard from her pew, yet pew, on pew. the podcast. But looks like this. Johnny Depp, Amber Heard got married. They had a really disgusting and really bad Volatile. relationship. Volatile <laughs> is the right word, relationship. Amber Heard and Johnny Depp divorce. She writes an op-ed in a paper that I don't remember. And then in that op-ed says, I was a victim of domestic abuse. And I think put some details out around what that was. Johnny Depp has now sued her for defamation. And now it is a public trial that you can watch every day with salacious details and insanity. People seem to hate Amber Heard and Johnny Depp being a academy award-winning actor knows how to do this thing man and so it's like everyone's kind of responded and saying you know i think everybody's thinks it's weird but they've responded by saying you know johnny depp is basically the victim here so tell me you guys fill me in if if you think i'm wrong but yeah i would say that's the general tenor (laughs) yeah of of Mm -hmm. the thing i mean Mm -hmm. i remember just i mean a few few weeks ago and i started to catch wind of the conversation it was from how many times I got on YouTube or mm. my, um, I forget what you call the like general browser on Instagram. Uh, the reels. The reels mm-hmm. or something. And just how many, like, I just kept seeing these pictures of mm-hmm. Johnny Depp at court. And eventually I was like, what is this about? And started mm-hmm. to read into it. But even even just that was telling of like, it was, it was I saw the memes before mm-hmm. it was even like headline, it felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, and much of the conversation was, surrounding um yeah how how badly he was being treated um Mm. because of this case and so yeah that that's just a that's an interesting way to to handle a court case i think what's super fascinating about it is that like we don't know these people (laughs) (laughs) i've never met johnny i don't have a relationship with either of them but i know so much Mm. about the Mm -hmm. intimacies of their relationship and to a degree have been told have an opinion mm. about it and mm-hmm. and this is the right opinion to have mm-hmm. about it um and which is just it's crazy i think same thing social media has been a key source of information for for the case and the fact that this is so publicized and like this like please watch this case about these people you really know nothing about um and even throwing it back to when we first heard, you know, Amber, Amber make her statements. It was like, Oh my, my goodness, this is the right opinion to have. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a conversation about that of, of how fast we jump onto or believe what we're told in one degree and, and the duplicity of like, yes, you should believe this person. Don't believe this person. Um, if you don't have facts, but yeah, just seeing in, in culture how much this is like an important case to have an opinion on or to view and, and see the what's going on in the details. And at times I've bought into it, but at times I'm like, wait, why? Like, why? Why is this so important? Why do I have to have a stark opinion on this? Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. I mean, I even talked to you about this, Chelsea, but like, why am I? laughing like why am I laughing at these things like why is this funny like it's it's really when you get down to it there's brokenness so much brokenness and it's it's not really funny and I don't know that yeah I'm like should I like should I be in taking this and talking about this Mm -hmm. and 
um, seeing these people as nothing more than just characters like mm-hmm. that. I mean, to, to a degree, they just feel like characters. Well, that um, was one of the things when I read, um, for a long time, I was just seeing it on social media and taking it in and kind of going, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, it kind of sounds like, it sounds like, um, which is unusual, a female to male mm-hmm. abuse situation. And so I can understand like yeah. bringing light to something like that. And, and, um, especially in a court thing is interesting, but then, I I went and read some of the allegations that she made against Deb. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if she's not lying, if this is true, these are horrible things that he supposedly did. And so I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't want to know about this. Why is this public information? Mm -hmm. Like, why is this trial? And the trial is not even really about domestic abuse. It's about the defamation. defamation. And so it's him saying that you, you slewed my name. And so now I'm getting fired or whatever. And I'm suing you, and then it's like, but then all the details about the abuse, of course, are coming out because you have to kind of prove him to be mm-hmm. not um, a bad man. And I, yeah, I just I shouldn't know any of this information about these people. I don't know. That's how I feel. Yeah, and I'm the like, conversation isn't about like none of the conversation I have had really is about oh a male victim in that like yes that's a that's some words that are said at some point in the conversation but it's not around that it's just a villainizing of her yeah it's not about abuse and and the brokenness and and honestly the the awfulness of an abuser it's not it's not about that it's it's a comedy and you're watching these people do Mm. get out in a courtroom for for what i think you said it i think there's a couple things i have some questions for you guys about it i mean one is their characters to us right that's how we know them we've seen these i mean especially depp but amber too it's like you've seen her we've seen them on the screen for a really long time and their job is to what entertain us and so they're kind of objects of our entertainment more than they are people to us and so Mm. there's a good distance it's like oh you don't think about it as like if these were strangers on the stand and you'd be like oh my gosh can you believe they're saying this about each other this is so terrible it's more like oh yeah this is like another movie unfolding before our eyes that their character's in i also wonder though so there's a couple questions i have one i'll ask the first one what do you say to a christian because i think we can be these buzzkills but what do you say to a christian who's like (laughs) hey listen man we just went through the pandemic that's a real bummer last few years have been really terrible please don't take this away from me i'm just wanting to laugh and take down some of these elites i mean it's like watching ricky gervais make fun of the people at the golden globes right it's like everybody loves to watch these and i'm painting it in a bad way but it's like oh these snooty people who read Mm. uh, uh, things other people write for a living get paid millions of dollars and then have the gall to morally judge all of us and tell us how to live and do these Mm. stupid TikToks where they sing Imagine and all this stuff. And it's like, I want nothing more than Mm. to see these people get taken down, you know? Mm. What do you say? I mean, some of that is over the top, but you might have a Christian who just says to you, man, it's just entertainment. What do you guys say to that? I mean, in this situation, I'd be like, it is entertainment, but these are real people. Yeah. It's not a movie. You're not watching a movie. It's a courtroom thing, which is what I... like. I just don't understand why is this even being televised? Yeah. You know, it's not a public trial. I mean, it shouldn't be a public trial. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know how all that works in the legal system, but it's like, why? Why is this on television? Why do I know every minute of the prosecution's case Mm -hmm. for this situation? Like, I just don't, I don't understand. It's, why is this public knowledge? That's the thing I'm I'm learning about our society is it's, there has, and what it, what terrifies me about, even if I just think about like, I know more about 
court cases in the past, <laughs> in trials in the past five years yeah. than I've ever heard or followed any in my mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. prior life. Yeah. And it's because I bet there was probably a time where people thought like, I mean, besides like, I mean, you know, yeah, Judge Judy and yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what like, I feel like nobody's, I'm it's like nobody's really like interested in that like that's not like television it's not that interesting as yeah. somebody who practices <laughs> it's super boring but I'm like the law you, is boring but I'm like you watch you look on YouTube at the views that these streams are yeah. getting huge yeah and it's like oh like there's uh-huh. and like what it what would it so one maybe like a cynical thing and then get back to your question like it makes me wonder like what is like what is I would hate for this to be another market that we now have mm. to feed because mm. it's like people like this. Yeah. So how do we how do we manufacture more of these? Yeah. Because we can just keep giving people what they want. That just mm. seems to be how we work. So that's like terrifying. But to your point, I think that I think it is possible for us to be entertained by the wrong things. Mm. Good. Mm. Uh, s- sentiments like we we may have been like taught that these things don't have value but i, I think uh is it in c.s lewis the abolition of man he talks about how like the the schoolboy has to learn um what he ought to like basically what you have to in, enjoy and reject in sentiments right mm-hmm. and so uh, he gives a little joke of like i don't uh c.s lewis said i don't particularly enjoy the company of small children but he was like but that's not a but that's a def like i recognize mm-hmm. that that's not a good um, mm. Sentiment in me that I don't enjoy the company of kids. That's mm. a problem. Mm. Um, and he's like, like ethics and morality teach us that. And I think there's a sense in which in our culture it's just like how, like if something is entertaining to me, then it is entertaining. Mm. Mm. As opposed yeah. to like, man, maybe this isn't something that we laugh and joke about. Yeah. Maybe this is something that's serious. And there's a place for things that we laugh and joke about. Mm. And that line just feels like it's like, oh yeah, disappearing mm. in yeah. the terms of the things that we. In quote unquote enjoy. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating question because I would even say like I'm that Christian, like yeah. I'm that Christian oh, of like I'm laughing at it, yeah. like I'm and into what you're saying, it's like I I've even looked at scripture and been like I'm not supposed to be conformed to the world, mm-hmm. like I'm not supposed to. And when I have reflected on my reactions to mm-hmm. this, I'm like you, like yeah. I I have been. I'm I'm laughing at the things the world would laugh at. Mm-hmm. I am applauding the things the world would applaud. I'm condemning the people and the things that the world would condemn. And I'm like, where have my reactions aligned with God's? Mm -hmm. Like, where have my react? And I'm like, like, and it's, and then it's like the question begs the question of, well, does that mean I watch it at all? Like if this is a conversation that the, the non believing circles that I'm in are, or bringing up and that's a topic and I want to be in those spaces and mm-hmm. I want to be able to have a response as a Christian. Um, and my response, I don't want it to look like their response. Then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, like how, how do I intake this media mm-hmm. and, and have a response that looks like Christ's that's in those conversations. That's the line to walk is like, uh, how much, how much do I need to know in order mm-hmm. to not be in a bubble? Yeah. Mm. I don't want to be in a bubble. I think a healthy level of disdain <laughs> can help oh, wake that. people up but honestly, out of the, but i i do joke but i'm like man it's a failure of imagination on our part of christian imagination i mean to your point jenna jesus watches this trial and weeps over mm-hmm. it and if you were friends with johnny depp never mind amber heard who everybody wants to make fun of but if you were friends with johnny depp my hope is that you would go to him as a christian and say hey but brother you need help you need mm-hmm. lots of help. Yeah. You were addicted, afflicted, yeah. and you were looking 
for play, you're treating other human beings like trash mm-hmm. and you're, you're Objects. this, this trial is weird. Everything you're doing is really strange. Mm-hmm. Go, let's go to rehab, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and a million other things. Right. And so I think, you know, s- uh, you're right. You've got to know how do we, how are we in the world, but not mm-hmm. of it. And I think it's a good question. And I don't know that imbibing these lower forms of entertainment, mm. it's easy to actually turn that conversation and be like, oh, you guys watch that trial? Haha. Ha, okay. And then move to some mm-hmm. other really beautiful movie or book you've read or something that draws people out into something deeper, you know? And yeah, I just was just redirecting. Yeah. And I think even if they are not, if they're believing friends, just say, uh, or just being able to say, guys, like, is that what you want to spend your time doing? Like, you're rotting your brain, dude. Yeah. Mm. You know? Well, My grandma I was, I was used to tell me you could watch two turds crawl across the television screen. <laughs> and it's true. You could. You could just watch. It's that's, nothing. It's I guarantee you it's on YouTube like, somewhere. That's all we <laughs> Thanks, grandma. I don't say literally. I like, I wonder. Yeah. And this is, this is just offering a thought as we all were talking. Yeah. Like, man, maybe maybe there's like a space where it's, you know, as we give our Christian commentary on all the things, like maybe there's just a space for believers to, you know, somebody asks, oh, did you hear about that thing? And it's like, man, that's none of my business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Like, maybe we could, like, maybe that's one of the most, that's like, great. Christian things well, we here's could the say thing. sometimes. Yeah. I've had this convo with, with a friend where it was like, hey, when that happened, when you're when you're around like water cooler talk, you mm-hmm. pe- hear people say like, we were talking about gossip at work. It's like, I just don't want to, so easy to slip into that. Yeah. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? When she's like, well, when you're around that water cooler talk, I just leave. And what's funny is we do that personally, mm-hmm. but there's something about that celebrity level. And I think it's like, I think it was mm-hmm. Adam that said it, how there's a distance. I mean, mm-hmm. Tamarca said it. Um, there's like a, there's just a separation we feel that makes it okay to treat them differently than we do the water cooler combo. And it's like, I think we just need to treat it like that. And you just walk away. Like you said, like you just say, I'm not going to engage in that. Mm-hmm. And how often would we even say that this is gossip though? Like, oh, but it is, but like, it, is. it is like, it's exactly what it is. And it's like, it's called well, a spade like, yeah, a spade. Like, I just don't want to gossip about these people that I really know nothing about. Mm-hmm. It's like, that would, that would shut down a conversation for sure. <laughs> All right. Our third courtroom <laughs> drama. What are we calling it? Yeah, Case yeah. Our third strong. courtroom kind of thing theme that we're going We've got on a here. A court theme, a court theme. That's yeah. for sure. Uh, and that is the very serious case of Melissa Lucio, and she was granted a stay on her execution. Does anybody want to set that case up for us? I'll see if I can sum this up. Feel free to correct me if you know more than me. Um, but basically, I think Melissa Lucio was is a uh, Hispanic woman, and her toddler daughter. Fell down the stairs, um, like a, 10 years ago this happened, so it's been a while. And um, a couple days later, passed away. And so I guess there was enough bruising or whatever, and they kind of, they called in authorities. Um, they ended up investigating her. They interrogated her for a while, and eventually uh, she was repeatedly asked if she was the cause of her daughter's death. And she finally said, yes, I was. She was pregnant at the time and was not given food or allowed to go to the bathroom. So the, (laughs) yeah. So did she say yes flat out or was it? She finally said, I guess so. I guess guess so. The the quotes very like, yeah. So I, I think she admits it somehow. And we'll get into details in a second is then convicted and then placed on, was she placed on death row? Death row. 
Yeah, she was, she's convicted of murder. Yeah. She's placed on death row because it was in Texas and we have the death penalty. And so um, that's where she was sitting until her execution was scheduled to be in April, into April. And then they managed to finally file a um, stay on her execution in order to reopen the case, so to speak, and see if there's anything that they need to look into. Um, if you look at the details of the case, like, the interrogation was uh, a very long time. Jenna, like you said, like she wasn't given um, breaks. She was pregnant at the time. Um, she wasn't allowed um, to, go to, to the- call, like call anyone. Even mm-hmm. I think she wasn't given a lot of basic things that feel like basic rights. Uh, and then um, the interrogation, they continually asked her over and over and over. So the way she finally quote admitted it was like, I guess I guess I'm responsible for her death. And so um, there's been like doctors who have looked at it and said that um, the injuries to the child line up with a child falling down the stairs and that it wasn't actually abuse. And anyway, it's just really sad. I think it's I think it's like, yeah, there's a lot you could say about the legal system in that sense. Um, but it, it has been making a few headlines. I think it's important to say back to resident legal analyst here. And I know. <laughs> I know it's really hard to believe this, but in recent years, at least, um, we've come to the realization that false confessions are not as rare as you think they are. Are they rare? Yes. As rare as you think they are? No. In fact, some people would go as far to say they're not as, they're not as rare at all. Um, they're not rare at all. The idea, what they've recognized is certain patterns where false confessions have been proved to happen, where people have later mm-hmm. been exonerated by DNA evidence or very clear evidence that's come forward or another yep. person's come forward and it, it, you know confessed to the crime and they realize their mistake. What they've seen is certain things. One of the biggest ones is asking, is wearing someone down and asking them mm-hmm. who are in a vulnerable state, which all people are, but you ask them over and over and over and mm-hmm. over again. Uh, and maybe you'll key in on just one little detail, mm-hmm. but did you put the gun there? Did you have, mm-hmm. did you open the safe? Did you open the safe? And the methodology is to try and trap someone trap. in a lie. Right, right. But if you are talking to someone who is not lying, that eventually like it can mess yeah. with you psychologically. Right. And you can admit to things that you didn't do. Right. And they have seen greater instances of this. And this seemed to have all the hallmarks all the the signs of mm-hmm. potentially being a false confession again we don't know that there's no one else's step forward there's no ex- necessarily exonerating evidence that's in place right now all that's happened is the governor i don't know if it's the governor who stated or the, i think it must have been but whoever whoever or the court i'm not sure but whoever saw it said there's enough here that we want to stay the execution and that's where it's at right yeah. now yeah 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 and I think what's really sad, crazy um, about all of this is that the n- public doesn't know. <laughs> like the public has like no like. There's very very few people who have mm-hmm. an idea or an understanding can tell you any of the details about Melissa Lucio's case. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had just finished talking about how yeah. everyone knows everything about Amber Heard and, and well, Johnny and Depp. Right before it was. Um uh, was it Beyonce or Kardashian? It was a Kardashian. Kardashian. Uh, so, you know, in the in the suit of, like, celebrities sometimes have power, but uh, a Kardashian tweeted her story or posted it to her Kim social Kardashian, media. Kardashian, because she's going to be a, a lawyer. Yeah. And so she was like, everyone should know about this Melissa case in Texas. And then it um, 
it did become kind of like mm -hmm. hot button news for a second yeah. and then get drowned out by what we just talked about yeah. pretty much. But I think it is interesting to look at like the celebrity um, factor in that. And then also in juxtaposition to the Depp case, it's like, yeah, well, how come we care so much about these two people that, I mean, abuse is a terrible thing, but this is like a really, I don't know. There's just a lot. The way the, we're using it and viewing it is right. not to care about the actual issue. And then you have a case like this that's like, hey, someone's on death row. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's a chance that they were falsely put there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how you get more important mm -hmm. than but that. But I'm just thinking of even a sense of place. Like, I'm just, us in this room specifically are in Texas. It's like, yeah. this is in our state. It's in our backyard. And I knew, uh, personally, I knew about the depth in her mm -hmm. case well before I heard anything mm -hmm. about this one. And it's just like, and like, and again, to your point of this being, you know, a life or death situation, I think that just gets to the complicated piece. I think in, in all of these, even as we've um, kind of been discussing little, little hot take button, man, mm -hmm. of like, I just feel like social media has just, it's not a great place to have <laughs> difficult conversations mm -hmm. like this. And that being like one of the primary sources of information nowadays, it just makes it, um, it makes it very difficult to uh, to give the appropriate care and appropriate concern mm -hmm. to the right things to the right degree. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, like, how do you filter cause it's, through it? It's not that this, as you said, it's not that we're saying, oh, the depth in the hurt case isn't important. But you would think, man, and at least here in the state mm -hmm. of Texas, like this would this would be a, <laughs> in my face a lot more. This yeah. being something that is so local and so severe. I don't know. I just. I think that's mm -hmm. an interesting dynamic. Mm -hmm. I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves, though, as Christians, is how, how do we curate the media? We talk about this mm. a lot, right? Yeah. And I mean, I think there's even this question about is social media redeemable? And it's like in the one case you have Amber Heard and all of that that's going on, but social media was used to draw attention to this yeah. case yeah. too yeah. with I mean, Kim yeah. Kardashian. So as much as I still believe it's not probably redeemable. <laughs> I think some people are trying to use it as a vehicle are there for glimmers something. Of hope? Yeah, I don't know. All I I think there's other ways. But <laughs> maybe that just shows my bias against social media. But regardless, I think as Christians we just have to ask ourselves how are we curating our media? What do we yeah. spend our time imbibing? You know, we yeah. we we've talked before on the show with uh James Jamie Smith, James K. Smith about, you know, you are what you love. You you what you consume, we this has on been on repeat here, but what you consume shapes you, informs you. Mm -hmm. And that's a scary thought that if you consume Depp and Herd, you're being conformed into Depp and Herd. Mm -hmm. Like, think about that, right? Uh, it, we we laugh, but it's true. And in some sense, you are what you eat, you know? You mm -hmm. you are. Um, mm -hmm. And regardless of, of, of those deeper issues, I think as we talk about this issue... I think it is important, you know, to remember, like, the world's really broken. We live in a broken world. And for every Melissa Lucio uh, on death row who may be innocent, mm -hmm. there's another person who's on death row that's guilty and did yeah. kill somebody. And so I don't think these issues are super simple. Like, there's mm -hmm. a lot of really horrible things that happen in this world, and prisons are one of those. And, you know, go back and listen to our prison episode where Jerrica is not saying, hey, so uh, mm -hmm. they're all innocent, and that's why I'm there. She's yeah. saying they're guilty, and that's why I'm there, yeah. because mm -hmm. they need to know the Lord, right? And so I think it's important to remember that as we think about this. But then I think it's important to remember that there's injustice in the world, mm -hmm. too, like in this case. And if you're interested in knowing more about 
you know, whether there are guilty or innocent people in prison, uh, look up the Innocence Project mm-hmm. and just take a look at that. Um, there's a lot of Christians who work on it. I worked on it in law mm-hmm. school. And then when I was at the, did a summer at um, Lou Starrett, which in Dallas's felony division, there was actually, the Innocence Project had partnered with the prosecutor's office to reopen their files and look back through their files. And they were overturning so many cases of people who were in jail for years who yeah. it ended up, they didn't do the crime, right? So I think keeping in mind that as Christians, we want to work for justice in this world yeah. because we believe that it's not, we're going to die one day and go to heaven and that's it, but that we can bring a bit of the kingdom here on earth now. We don't want to overrealize that and say we can erase all pain here. That's, that's when Jesus comes back. But we can work for innocence. Yeah. Or, sorry, we can work justice. for justice. <laughs> that's justice for those who are wrongly incarcerated, mm-hmm. but we can also work to bring good news and light to those who are trapped in darkness. Yeah. That's great. Thanks for listening to Culture Matters. This podcast is made possible because of a team of people behind the scenes. Chris Starrett, Chelsea Conway, Mandy Page, and Brad Weigel. We couldn't do it without them. If you're a follower of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can message us on social. You can support us on our Patreon page. Check the show notes for more information. See you next time.